You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. So welcome, welcome back to the uh, Anthony Gordon Show. Uh, a special, a special privilege today. Um, someone who, in a reasonably short amount of time, I would uh, consider a friend, but I think more to the point, certainly someone who's clearly um, a beloved person um, in the world of entertainment and, frankly, in multiple disciplines. Um, we're going to take a slightly different approach, so we'll keep the bio to just a few sentences. Uh, multiple Emmy, Golden Globe winner, recipient of the the Office of the British Empire in the year 2000, which was bestowed uh, by Queen Elizabeth II. Certainly um, an icon, uh, one of the most creative people uh, in the entertainment industry and beyond, Jane Seymour. So it's a pleasure, Jane. Welcome. Thank you. So I think I think that one of the reasons when we were um, honoured at this uh, event together that I I felt a kindred connection, and I think I, I told you at the time, is in an industry that personifies form. I just had a visceral sense that I'm speaking to a person of substance. In an industry which places such a premium on externals. Very quickly, I felt that I was speaking to a person with really with heart and with soul. So one of the things that, that dawned on me is that I think the Western culture has sort of sold Hollywood, it's sold the entertainment industry, you know, as this glamorous, sensational place. What would you say to specifically young women who are looking to embark on a career in entertainment and are, are saying, looking to someone like yourself who did, didn't, uh, you know, sell her soul, you know, was true to herself is just how difficult is it to, you know, be successful at the highest level in this industry and be, and remain true to yourself and, and uh, not be impacted by, you know, the, uh, well, I, you know, I, I think it's a different world now from when I started. And um, when I started, I started in England. I was a classically trained actress. I was also a classically trained dancer. Um, I was trained in many mediums. I was also went to a school where I, I learned um, music and all kinds of things. So, um, it's very different in England. It's not about being famous. No one was interested in being famous. It's about working. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a different dynamic in Hollywood. Here, it's sure. all about fame. Right. It just isn't in England. It's just not something that you do. It's just not part of that. I never imagined being Amazing. famous, never thought about it. Um, 
But, you know, I, I became a Bond girl when I was 20 and that was sort of um, a, a kind of the thing at that time. Right. Um, but if you were a very serious actress, which I was, you know, it's not necessarily such a good thing always because you might not be taken as seriously because people think you're, you know, just a Bond girl. Right. So um, I, I kind of started out that way. I came to Hollywood um, and I realized it was very different here. I was asked to test for some movies. Um, it was all, you know, bigger and far more glamorous and very powerful people. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I realized um, very early on that the way I'd been raised, which was you do your work, you do your best, you show up and that's good enough, um, didn't quite work. So um, I did find myself in a situation where, I come in actually to uh, audition for one producer. Right. Um, an interesting thing happened there on that one. It was a, a wonderful, I mean, a you know, it's a fun movie. Um, I might have gotten it, except that they'd chosen a director who was English to come and do his first American movie. And the last thing in the world he wanted was, was an English, English girl <laughs> playing an American. So you can imagine he did everything to exonate me that. So imagine. the first thing that I discovered was um, that a director could actually make sure that you were not good in the screen test. Make so he didn't your... make or break you there. So wow. that was the first screen test. The second screen test was another producer who was in, in town who said, I realized I was already there and said, oh my gosh, you know, I want you for my movie. So um, you need to come and do a screen test. So uh, I had how, fine. How old were you roughly at this? At 23, 24, 24. Okay. So um, I was very excited. So I... Um, I, I, you know, worked on the other role. I met the director, the writer, I did rehearsals. And then one day my agent said, um, you know, this producer would like you to come by his house. He's doing a screening. He'd love to invite you. And he'd like to screen the previous screen test to see, you know, what it was sure. like, what happened. And uh, so I think you should go along. So I went, okay. So the other producer said, yep, you know, um, we've given him the screen test thing and let me see how it goes. So I go and I think nothing of it. In those days, I didn't have a car. So I, I just, you know, took a cab, came. Very innocently. Innocently to this big glamorous house. And, right. um, you know, the understanding was that they were going to screen this thing first and then all the other people were coming and we're going to watch some big movie. Well, I'm there and I'm sitting on the couch and uh, we've watched the movie. And of course, the, the screen test is terrible, um, but it's obvious that what had happened. And um, the, and this this man said, oh my gosh, you know, you're, but you're not right for that movie, but you're perfect for mine. Absolutely perfect. I've told everyone, I've convinced them all. I have been working tirelessly to tell them how important it is that we hire you and over at, anyone else. And at this point, you didn't think there was any hidden agenda, nope. nothing fishy, nothing? Nothing, nothing at all. And you just said... Um, he said, and, and now it's your turn. And I kind of looked at him and I went, yeah. I mean, I said, I'm doing the screen test in two days. And he said, no, you know what I mean. And oh I went, my gosh. no. And he put his hand like really right up on the top of my thigh. And I did that whole British thing of crossing your legs and moving down the sofa. But oh you know, this gosh. is Hollywood. Sofas were a lot longer here. <laughs> and uh, by the time I was sort of, you know, being playing cat and mouse there oh on gosh. a sofa, I, I got up and I just said, I'm, I'm very sorry, but I... Um, would you please call me a yellow cab? You must have been petrified. I was terrified. Um, he went away. I guess he called because there were no cell phones those days. And um, eventually when he came back out before the yellow cab came, he basically said, if you ever tell anyone you were here tonight, 
or that this happen, I can guarantee you will never work again in the industry anywhere on any continent. Oh my gosh. And he was that powerful. So anyway, got in the yellow cab, stuck a $10 bill in my hand, oh my. which was disgusting. And I didn't dare tell anyone. And um, for a year I, I quit acting. I went back to England and didn't work at all. Was about to quit completely. I just said, thought, you know, I'm not going to do this. Just I mean, because of the trauma of this whole. Uh, it was very traumatic to I mean, me because sure. I and and the thing that really got me was the following day, my agent and the other producer both called me and said, "How did it go?" And you couldn't tell the truth. And I couldn't tell the truth. So, and I'm a really bad liar. So I said, um, "I didn't go." How come you didn't go? And I went, "Well." I don't know, at the last minute, it just, I just thought perhaps, you know, with the test coming up and everything, he said, oh, oh, I'm so glad you didn't go. And I went, really? I said, yes. I mean, you know, I mean, it's good because you didn't go. So, but you know, if you had, I said, well, what could have happened? Well, I don't know. It could have been uncomfortable. They could have just, you know, but it's good. You didn't go. Isn't this I, the heads up they were supposed to give you before you left? And the other one, the producer said that he had an argument with his wife the night before and his wife had said, how dare you let her go to his house? Oh, God. You know what's going to happen. And he said, oh, I'm so glad you didn't go because my wife said that, you know, he can be tricky. Tricky. <laughs> nice euphemism. And uh, so that was it. So I um, I did the screen test. Of course, it was a waste of time. Sure. I got yeah. on the next flight I could out. And um, the one of the other producers was on the flight and he saw me and we were like 5,000 feet up wherever in, in the air, halfway on the way to England. And uh, I said, what are you doing on the flight? And he said, I'm on my way to offer the role to Glenda Jackson. The, the role that you were supposed yeah. to And he said, and by the way, everyone knows what happened. Oh, gosh. And you made the right choice. That's all he said to me. Well, he that's... said, everyone knows what happened and you made the right choice. No more was ever said. I mean, I think that speaks a volumes about you, and and um, yeah. Anyway, sadly, it, it's uh, <laughs> and this is sort of your welcome to Hollywood. <laughs> well, you I know, mean, so, oh, straight uh, up to the Bond, right? Maybe. And the Bond thing and everything. I know this. You know, it, it's 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 par for the course. I mean, it's what happens in the industry. I mean, I've been around lots of situations, sure. and but I think you know, you're asking if I have advice for people. I just think you have to you, you be authentic, be your own person. Um, have your eyes and ears open. And um, if something, it doesn't feel right to you, um, speak up or extricate yourself. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and if on the other hand, uh, this is acceptable to you and um, you feel it's a fair trade, um, good luck with that. Yeah. No, I, 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 think I mean, I can know lots of people who are very famous and quite happy to, you know, have done whatever they needed to do. But I, I, I think people with any, you know, uh, moral turpitude will, look in the mirror the next day and, you know, you have to face yourself and, you, and uh, you know, I think that um, one of the things that that has been sort of a theme about our show, you know, is um, A, being true to yourself and dispelling a lot of what I guess um, pop culture and Western culture sort of imparts. One, one notion being that a happy life means a pain-free life. And to me, there's nothing, uh, nothing further from the truth. And I, just for our, for our listeners, I just sort of two, two or three vignettes uh, about Jane. Uh, there have been, you know, more, more than one occasion where financial setback or, or being, you know, in the point of financial, financial indigence has been a reality. And I think it's been your, your attitude, your intestinal fortitude to move on and being creative. Um, if I'm not mistaken, your the genesis of your clothing line was really a, a, a means to sustain yourself during during a tough time. Mm -hmm. um, if I understand uh, correctly, also one of your dreams 
as a as a, as a young girl growing up was to be a member of the of the the royal ballet and and then suffering a knee injury resulted in looking for alternatives and i think the, you know when when one roadblocks sort of hit all of us i think it becomes a binary decision are we going to be bitter or better and you're such a non-bitter person and you're such a person who's overcome things what what is it that um that is sort of a life mantra that gives you that strength to overcome things when it's so dark? Well, actually, I, I wrote a book about it called Remarkable Changes, Turning Life's Challenges into Opportunities. And I realized if there was something, um, a common thread in my life, it was that every time there was a challenge that for most people would make them give up, Yeah. somehow or other, I was open-minded and open-hearted enough to do like John Carter, June Carter Cash, Johnny Cash's wife used to say, honey, sometimes you just got to hunker down and squat and press on. <laughs> and I think I just hunker down, I squat yep. and I press on. And so, you know, when I was um, a kid and my parents couldn't afford ballet shoes and stuff, and I was dancing with, you know, one of the great ballet companies, um, I thought, well, I know how to knit and crochet and embroider. I'll do that and see if I can sell it somewhere in London, which I did. Amazing. Started a company. I was 15. Um, you know, I was the company, of course. And, Unbelievable. <laughs> and uh, you know, that's how I did that. And then, I, you know, when I came to America, I, I'd buy, or, you know, houses that nobody wanted, nobody knew what to do with, and I'd turn them into little English houses and sell them. And so... And I, and you, you mentioned, you know, I've been been bankrupt to one point because I was married to my accountant who um, made some terrible, terrible, terrible financial choices and um, did some wow. terrible things to me. Left me nine million in the red with lawsuits from every major oh, yeah. bank, oh, including the FDIC. And uh, I have yet to pass basic math, so you know these zeros and things and dots and percentages and whatever. I, I just, I thought I'd married, you know, the top guy, sure. but yeah. I've been taken advantage of. Yeah, and for sure. uh, But the thing that has happened is that every time something really bad has happened, somehow I've turned it around out of necessity into something that would not have happened had the bad thing not happened. The good thing would never have happened. So, you know, I, I when I talk to people, I just say, when something bad happens, it's quite often a catalyst for um, something new and amazing, something you can't even imagine being possible. And in my life, that has happened every single time. That the, the, the stumbling block has turned into a stepping stone. Yes. So it's one thing that resonated with a lot of people in the audience at the uh, event that we were at together is that you stood up and said that at the end of this journey called life, really the the, the only two things that we leave behind is the love that we share and the difference we make. And it was a, a dead silence in the audience because I think there was a universal sense of a, it resonates with everyone. What do you, can you just, t how, firstly, how, you know, what made you choose those two sort of catch lines and what, what is, you know, what's the, what's the take home message? Well, um, I was playing Maria Callas in a movie about Onassis a number of years ago. I was in Spain. I was playing um, Maria Callas. I was obviously learning how to sing and do all kinds of stuff. I got a very bad bronchitis. Um, they decided to give me an injection of, of um, antibiotic. The, um, the, the, the nurse uh, missed um, a muscle, hit a vein, and I had anaphylactic shock. So oh, basically gosh. I died and I was resuscitated. During this time, believe it or not, I actually left my body. Yeah. So and you I, flatlined or you, you... I All I know is that that um, all of a sudden I could tell I was going into shock. I So white lights, I heard this very, very loud 
loud pounding of my heart going so fast and then mm. absolute silence. And I saw this sort of white light, this sort of white like tunnel. And then I looked down and I could see myself lying there. Looking down um, at your own body. I looked at my own body and I saw this man screaming and yelling and, fo- you know, and oh. with huge um, syringes and screaming for an ambulance in Spanish. And, and I was very calm about this, very calm. And, um, Anyway, long story short, of course, he he had the anti antidote, which was cortisone and adrenaline, which makes you all very jumpy. And eventually I came back into my body. But I remember looking up at the white light and just saying, you know, whoever, whatever is the mystery of life. Right. Um, please let me get back in my body because I have things I need to do. So you and felt that you almost had a, 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 a choice. A choice. Well, I asked for a choice. And I said, I'll never let you down. <laughs> That's what I asked for it. Which you certainly haven't. I didn't feel like I would necessarily be given it, but I just thought it was worth asking uh, in the way that I did, you know, however it was. But the, the the thing that I realized when I came back in my body and when, I, you know, the drugs had worn off and I, and I was just lying there is I realized that all the things that you think are important in life, like your home, your yeah. possessions, your children, your... Um, your rewards, your reputation, you know, all this stuff. There's a lot of stuff. And a lot of people think that they should amass more stuff, especially when it comes to money and and possessions. And they go, and the one with the most stuff wins. Well, you don't, there is no winning, you know, when you're you're done, you're done. And I really thought how clearly that there was only two things that you take with you or that you leave behind. And one is the love you've shared with people, whether it was in marriage or it was friendship or it was a relationship of someone you worked with or just someone you knew one time for a very short time, whatever it was, that real connection with another human being and the difference you made, whether that difference is being philanthropic or it was just helping someone cross the street or just knowing you could help someone and why not? You just did. Uh I can say, Joan, I know you well enough to know that you walk, you walk the talk. I mean, we'll talk about open hearts in in a moment, but I think that anyone who knows you and knows about your life would want to, we want to ask you the following question. Somebody in the American pop culture who personifies having everything and proverbially being Superman was Christopher Reeve, Mm. um, who you had a very close uh, personal friendship with and obviously the we all well aware of uh his tragedy playing the protagonist of superman and then the the accident from the horse which left him uh paraplegic uh quadriplegic Quadriplegic. vent dependent quadriplegic that's as bad as it gets unbelievable i remember reading a piece about christopher reeves saying and I, i forgive me if i'm misquoting but it was something along the lines of that he felt more fulfilled than ever before in his life during the period where by, by all stress of the imagination and by all criteria, what we think is supposed to be strong and successful, um, you know, he, he was, he lost almost 80% of his body movement. He, he lost pretty much all of it. I don't, I, I, I don't think anything moved except for his face. I mean, he just maybe could slightly move a finger at one point, but hardly. And he used to be a concert pianist. He used to play. So he would, you would look down at these fingers lying there on this chair and it's, you know, his brain was Mm. knew that those fingers could make the most extraordinary music and they couldn't anymore. And of course he was a major athlete, you know, he was, but I think, um, he, he wrote in a fantastic book, by the way, which I highly recommend. It's called still me. And, um, 
what happened to him is, you know, obviously it's incredibly depressing. You can imagine you survive and yeah. now what's your survival like? I mean, you are, you know, and, and, and I don't want to tell you his whole book. I just highly recommend it. But at one point, I don't think he felt life was worth living. I'm sure. And uh, he tried um, Scientology at one point and then got out of that. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness. But he, um, his wife turned to him one day and said, you know, you're still you. And he said, what do you mean? He said, you're still you. Who you are is still here. Everything about you. I said, so you can't walk and move and whatever, and you need machines to stay alive. He said, but you are still you and you is who I love. And so therefore I'm, I want you to be in my life. I want you to be with us as long as you can. And, and, you know, I think he, he, we used to have very long conversations about what life was like for him and, um, and what mattered and, um, he was able to tell jokes. He was very funny. He directed movies. He never Amazing. missed a, um, a single hockey game of his sons. He um, he made a huge difference in the world. You know, he 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 fought for stem cells when people Amazing. didn't Amazing. know what a stem cell was. Sure. And uh, he did all of this as event dependent quadriplegic. So, do you, and do you think he came to terms with, you know, this tremendously horrific sort of tragic transition in his life? He said to me, he said to me that every morning he would wake up from a dream in which he was either flying his airplane or, or, or riding a horse or, um, you know, sailing his boat. He said he was or skiing downhill and then he'd wake up to the noises of the machines and realize, oh no, I'm trapped. But he, um, no, he, he said to me that the worst thing in life actually is, uh, clinical depression. Yep. He said depression is the absolute worst. And he said at some point they'd given them, you know, whatever the medications they needed just to keep them going, to keep them alive. And I've heard this from other people who, who have had, you know, very serious um, things happen to them and ended up, you know, either in chairs or, <clears throat> or um, blind or having, um, um, you know, many organs transplanted that sure. almost anything is dealable with. Depression yeah, is... It- Immobilizing. Immobilizing. So I think that by any criteria in terms of the creative world, Jane, I think you've ascended up the hierarchy and, and, and had tremendous success. If I were to use one of the titles of your book, The, the Road Ahead, what's the road ahead for Jane Seymour? What, what in a perfect world would you like the next two decades um, to be? If a genie came out of a bottle and... <laughs> And, you know, well, uh, you know what? I don't, I don't try to think, um, way more than today because Mm -hmm. I really believe in, in the power of living in the moment. Um, I, you know, I accept the past. Sometimes it's hard to do, but, um, but I accept it as a learning experience and I move forward. So, um, every day I would hope if I'm given another two decades, I would hope that I would wake up every morning thinking of what I could do to help other people and, um, how I could help my family and my friends, um, be as happy and have as, as good and happier a life as they can. And I think, um, that what I've learned is that 
when you have a passion and when you have a purpose in life, you can find happiness. If you have no passion and no purpose, absolutely, you're an empty vessel. So I would say I would hope to be creative, passionate, and purposeful for the rest of my life I think and, and see what comes from it. <laughs> I, think, I think that's uh, a uh, yeah, point very well taken. And I think that one of the things that I've, that we've discussed that I think is incredible is What's more meaningful to people is not the money they spend, but the money they give away. Meaning, mm. and just I think I'm quoting somewhat um, some of the pearls of wisdom that was imparted by your mom, is that the road becomes easier when you help others. One thing that I think is incredible is the um, Open Hearts Foundation and, and the work that you do. And I'll be if you could just share with the listeners. I think mm. it's a tremendous, tremendous model. I think it's a paradigm shift, and I think that um, we talk about legacies and. We spoke about, it, you know, the, the, the differences you make in the love that you share. I think that that is the credo of Open Hearts Foundation. Mm. And I think especially, you know, my mom um, survived World War II in a Japanese internment camp in Indonesia. She was a wow. Dutch native living there. Three and a half years of that. So Gosh. after the war, um, she was so grateful to be alive. Sure. Um, and she just wanted to live life to the fullest. She let go of the past. She let go of her fears. She It took her a while, but she did. And... She literally to the day she died, she was 92 and she passed. She was constantly every day seeing what she could do to help other people. And Amazing. whether it was picking up the phone and speaking to friends who were, you know, dealing with very depressed or, you know, having a tough time, you know, she would listen to them and make them laugh and make them feel that she cared and that the world cared. Uh, that's who, and who she was. One. So, you know, she always said to me, darling in life, you, um, you may think that the worst thing has happened to you, worse than anything that you could possibly imagine, you know, it's something insurmountable. She said, mm -hmm. but the truth of the matter is you don't have to look far to find somebody that's worse off than you. Very true. And she said that if you realize that most people close up their hearts and just, you know, when things are hard, they just close off and isolate and keep this sort of poison going round and round and round inside of them. But if you can accept what's happened, which she said is the hardest thing to do in life, open your heart and reach out in some way to help someone else. As I said, there's always someone worse off. And by doing that, you have a purpose. And when you have a purpose and you have impacted somebody in some way, it makes you feel really good about yourself. So and true. that is a huge gift to you. Now, it, of course, it's a gift to the other person, but the biggest gift is to you. So every time you give... And I've noticed every time I give, um, I receive back way more. So, you know, these people who think, oh, I got to hang on to everything just in case, yeah. you know, or, well, yeah, someone else's problem, not mine, or, well, you know, whatever. I, I, it's just, it doesn't work. The universe doesn't work that way. Yeah. Um, and the poorest people in the world are the most generous. Very true. They so, really are. Yeah, absolutely. So the, what what's the, in a perfect world, what would be the ultimate... Um, the ultimate goal of Open Heart Society is... Well, Open Hearts Foundation, Foundation is, is, um, is 501c3. We, um, my, my dream is to have Open Hearts be a universal symbol of giving and receiving love. I would like it to um, be 
um, the catalyst for encouraging people to make a difference in their communities, um, whether it is in fundraising for very specific organizations and we are a pass through sure. or what young hearts, my daughter's, um, group, um, of millennials, what they're doing is they don't have the money, but they have the time and the expertise. So what they want to do is to go out and donate their physical and, their time and, and, and their- in, you know, intellectual and, um, and their time and, um, and make a difference that way. So it's, um, it's it's really very exciting because people do want to make a difference, but they're just so overwhelmed. They go, I don't know. How would I start? How would I know it was a good charity? How would I know, you know, what I could do to help them? You know, I want to do something more than just clean the beach. I, I'm 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 a website designer. I could sure. design a website for um, a home for battered women or something. I mean, and raise money. I could. There's just things I can do, and so, you know. Um, it, it's exciting when you're around people who just go, look, I've got, I've got some time now. I've, I've got some expertise or I'm really good at fundraising or I'm, I'm a great musician and I'll come and sing for free and, or I'm a great, you know, um, winemaker and I'm going to give you my wine so you can raise money and all the money goes straight to the charities. You know, that's the kind of thing, you know, everybody has some sort of equity. Yep. Yep. And you take what equity you have and you pass it on. I think we once spoke uh, about the three W's. Some people got W, wealth. Others have work, you know, giving of themselves or wisdom. But everyone has something to give. And you you are so true. The more you give, the more the, the only way to build self-esteem is to do esteemable acts. Mm. You know. It, yeah, absolutely. And it's really not hard. <clears throat> you don't have to look very far. Sure. <laughs> Sadly. So I want, I want to be respectful of your time and just touch on, on, on a couple more things and, and we can uh, we can tie this tie this uh, together. And that is, you happen to be someone, and I know this uh, from, you know, our conversations that has made a point of going through the, the all the superficialities of whatever Hollywood uh, personifies without cosmetic surgery, without mm-hmm. all of these, uh, you, know, you know, trying to pretend that you're at a different age. Uh, which I think is part of what my opening gambit was. I think you're a person of, who is real, is a person of substance. Do you, has there been pressure on you from, you know, people who've got maybe different agendas that, uh, you know, have this operation, change this? Well, you know what, when I first started out, um, I lost my first role because I had two different colored eyes. That is unbelievable. Yeah. I have uh, hectochromia. So one eye is green and the other eye is brown with green and blue in it. So I was basically turned down after I got my first role because I had two different colored eyes. And my agent said, do you understand one day she's going to be famous for those two different colored eyes. So, you know, to start off with, I had that, you know, I had flat feet and a speech impediment that I ended up becoming an actress who um, speaks and performs different languages and different accents all the time. And I became a ballerina that danced with the Kirov at Covent Garden. So tell me I've got something that has to be changed and I will show you how we get around that. It's an amazing so, attitude. Um, I, I honestly, I, I don't go and I don't do all these facials and things. I don't do them. I do. I take care of my own skin. I've great products, which I don't cost very much, which I actually openly talk about. Um, sure. I exercise, I, I eat organic food that I grow in the garden. Um, I don't go on massive diets. I, I work out to some degree, but I don't try to kill myself. Um, I think it comes from within. I think, you know, beauty comes from feeling, um, being authentic and being comfortable in your skin. And I think a lot of people who feel they have to change the outside are just, you know, 
maybe not not comfortable with just being who they are. Yep. And I don't have, think there's anything wrong with it. I think, you know, if you want to turn yourself into whatever, Barbie or something, <laughs> yeah. that's your goal in life, you know, go for it. But uh, um, as as an actress, I really want to have a blank canvas that um, I can play older, younger, happier, sadder, angrier, whatever, and I need all those muscles to move. And That's and, very true. And you know what I... I'm not trying to tell somebody I'm 30 or 40. I'm not. Um, well, you're 31. So 31. There you 30. go. So, but I, <laughs> I, I just said, I'm trying that's to grow, old, grow, grow older graciously. And I think if you don't mess around with bits, you know, it's like I'm an artist, I'm a painter and I'm a sculptor. So in sculpture, if you move a cheekbone somewhere mm-hmm. that alters where the nose is and alters, you know, where the eye is and alters where the ear is. Right, and so you, so. you look at it two dimension, then you look at it three dimension. And now it's something's, it's sink. something's just out of sync and human beings are born with this instinct to like, you scan a person when you meet somebody without realizing it, your, your, brain scans as an animal would scan another animal. And you can tell whether something's wrong. 100%. And, you know, maybe it's wrong because it's not normally, you go, oh, oh, they've done something. Oh, well, they actually, they look really nice. I mean, it doesn't matter, but you can see. (laughs) You just, you know, so anyone thinks, oh no, you can never see. You can see. I think that, oh, I mean, there's many reasons, but I think one of the reasons why uh, I think you are beloved is because you're real and because you're genuine. And I think you get what you see with you. And it's very unusual in this, in, you know, mm. in this, in, in, in this industry. So I, I want to be respectful of your time and wrap up with maybe um, two final questions. And that is as follows. If you had uh, 10 minutes with anyone dead or alive to spend 10 minutes with alone, who would that be? And why? Gosh, that's a hard one. That would be a very hard one. Anyone on the planet, <laughs> real, biblical, historical, you can ask them anything. Tough question, huh? Yeah, I think it's too hard for me to just, you know, think off the top of my head because um, I have met some amazing people and had some amazing experiences um, and have had some of those privileges of speaking sure. to people. But, Hmm. Tuffy. Uh, I think it's a little bit too tough for me right now. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. And I'd hate to be quoted as <laughs> singling <laughs> out one person and then having to live with it for the rest of it. It's, it's a, you know, it's a question I hate because the other question I'm always asked is, you know, if you could do any role, what would you play? Yeah. And I answered it a long time ago and I've never played that role. So I'm just not playing that <laughs> so game again. So this it. one, this one is sort <laughs> okay. of somewhat in the same, uh, in the same genre, in the same genre. Okay, I don't so- think there is any, any perfect human being. Very true. That's- um, and I think everybody is, is wonderfully colorful in their imperfection. And I think people that have done amazing things fallible um, and- are fallible. And more often than not, they did what they did because um, they could at that time. And they were in a position where that, you know, could happen. So I want to end with a final question to me. And we were speaking about this early on about legacies. And to me, um, part of the show is taking a lot of my life experiences, my mentors, a lot of people that I've been around that are, that are very influential and trying to impart the life lessons to a generation that I think is, is lost. I think there's a lot of people that are leading lives of quiet desperation. So when we talk about legacy, I want you to picture the scene. 
you are turning 104. So there's quite a few candles on candles on the cake. Uh, there's a, a boom microphone. The camera is zoning is is zooming in. Next to you is your significant other, your children, your grandchildren, um, perhaps a few people that you've really helped in this journey called life. What do you want them to be saying about you? That they love me. Is it? So everything comes back to the heart. Everything- I think I think everything comes back to um to to love. I think if you have love in your heart and if you are your heart is open enough to receive love and to give love, um I think that's that's it. It's pretty simple. I think, you know, John Lennon got it right. Yeah. All you need is love. Very well put. So I can tell you this. And firstly, thank you for your time, Jane. You're welcome. I, you're you're very special. I think what you're doing is fabulous, and I I, uh, I I hope and pray that the next twenty years brings you health and good things. And I think Open Hearts Foundation is terrific, and would encourage our listeners to uh, do whatever they can to help you in any way possible. Thank you for your time, Jane, Jane Seymour. You're welcome. If people want to know, just uh, check out janeseymour.com. www.janeseymour.com. Yep. It's all there. It's all there, everything, art and philanthropy and everything. Yes. Wonderful. Jane, thank you for your time. Anthony Gordon signing off.